Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you have revealed to us the mystery of your love through the passion, death, and resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and through the gift of the Spirit has have formed us into his glorious body, the Church. Stir in us that same Spirit that we may more deeply come to know that almighty word of yours in our bridegroom, and that through the same Spirit we may give you thanks in the same Christ our Lord. Amen. So it's Thursday of Holy Week, also known as... Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. And what's special about today, brother? Uh, today the church gathers to... Um, celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, commemorate uh, the institution of the Eucharist. Um, so, Maundy Thursday from the Latin mandatum, uh, you'll remember after Christ washes the feet of his disciples, he says, uh, Mandatum novum do vobis, a new commandment, a new mandatum I give you, uh, therefore, Maundy Thursday. Um, and what was that command? It was love one another as I have loved you. So we're recording on Thursday of Holy Week, and we'll be uploading this hopefully on Easter Monday, but we'll be playing the second episode of our series with Abba Jeremy, and we just want to give you some opening remarks on what to expect and kind of what we've been up to. So we uploaded the first episode a couple of weeks ago, and we uh, had some positive feedback already, which was very encouraging. Now, I said in the first episode that I thought perhaps my mom would be our first and only listener. And you you thought your mom might listen to while doing other things? Yeah, I think neither have happened. No, I don't think my ha- <laughs> mine has. I sent her the link. But, on the uh, flip side, though. On the flip side, others others have. Um, I don't know if, I, if we can, if we have permission to say names by... Uh, folks who emailed us their feedback, so I won't tell their names, but in the future, if you do want your name spoken over the airwaves, just uh, give us permission to do so in your in your email. But this one very nice gal says, I loved it. Abba Jeremy is my favorite, and I'm so glad you all have taken this project on to share his wisdom with those of us who don't have the great fortune to be one of his students. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. And we'll be putting these out every every couple of weeks. Uh, somebody on Facebook had asked how often they will be or when the next one will be in. So we'll try to put one up every two weeks. Brother Emilio, now he belongs to the monastery, so we can say his name, right? Correct. Yeah, he's already, uh, St. Benedict said, you know, they have no, no control over their bodies and, and, and their time. So their names either. And nor their words typed in an email, right? Correct. That's, yeah, yeah, it's up for grabs. So Brother Emilio said, just wanted to stop by and say thanks for all the hard work. I enjoyed the first podcast. And then he actually asked our very first question. We asked questions, theological questions for the abbot. And Brother Emilio said, when did Theology at the Eucharistic Table t-shirts come out? Mm. Nelson, when do they come out? Tell us. Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 335, specifies that Theology of the Eucharistic Table t-shirts will come out as soon as we have a designer and <laughs> somebody to fund it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, somebody who can print it. All these details that are so important for such a simple question. 
And lastly, Dean Marshall, our president here, our newly elected president at the, at the seminary, president of the Theologate, he stopped me in the hallway the other day as he was carrying his, his laundry. I think it was clean. I think it was clean load, load of laundry. And he said, you know, I have to confess, I think I'm going to use this as part of my studies for my comps. He's, he will be taking his comprehensive exam next next year, and um, he thinks that will be helpful. So, hope, soon, soon to be ordained, uh, Dean Marshall, by the way, to the diaconate. In like 10 days, right? In, in, in like 10 days, yeah. Yeah, I think next, I think Divine Mercy Sunday. That's right. We're close to it. Yeah. Keep uh, Dean Marshall in your prayers, please, and thank you. Indeed. And yes, we are in the Triduum. So, thanks be to God, we're in the in the Paschal Mystery. Right in the heart of it all. Um, so, yeah, episode two. Uh, uh, episode two, Theology at, the, Theology at the Eucharistic Table. We're going to begin our discussion of the eight master themes. We referenced them in the first episode. Be sure you check out the first episode if you haven't already. But today we actually begin with the first master theme. So, we'll have them listed and then just... Re- Jump right into the first one, ecclesiology. And uh, Abba Jeremy begins by telling us that, well, first off, ecclesiology is a big word. Um, and then he'll start unpacking that for us. Yep. He gives a great answer, as always. And uh, then he kind of leads the way for other questions. And Ben has a question about the church and Eucharist. What is the relationship between the two? And who comes first? Does the does the church make the Eucharist, or does the Eucharist make make the church, or is there a, another way of, of thinking about that that is more uh, comprehensive? So we'll get into that. Caleb talks about time. He asks about how how can we celebrate the Eucharist both in time. So, for example, today on Holy Thursday we have Mass here in the Abbey at four p.m. and that's a particular celebration of the liturgy, a particular Eucharist at a particular place, the Abbey Church in Mount Angel, and a particular time, 4 p.m. So how can we do that and at the same time be participating in the death and resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago and also in the heavenly liturgy, which is going on all the time? Then there are a couple of others that we'll let you listen to as the episode unfolds. That's right. Just a pointer for how to listen to this episode one of the things Abigail repeated to us in class was, this is not a course on the liturgy. This is an introduction to theology, how you do theology. Um, but again, as, as we talked about in the first episode, we're beginning with the Eucharistic celebration, with the Mass, with the Eucharistic rites, and seeing what happens at Mass, and how does that happening from Mass direct our thinking. Uh, so Nelson just gave a great example we're meeting at a particular time, in a particular place, it's a particular community, and yet there's this relationship of this particular time, place, and community with the Paschal Mystery 2,000 years ago, and then the Heavenly Liturgy. Uh, so what does that tell us about time and space? Uh, one example you'll hear from Abba Jeremy briefly is, well, there's a group of people coming together for Mass, and that's how Mass begins. How do we take that into consideration when we want to talk about who is the Church? Uh, so just uh, definitely important point it's not a course on liturgy but check out how the liturgy is directing our thinking as Abba Jeremy unpacks a couple of his answers he references a book by Carbone 
in his answer, he simply says Corbone's book, because we know readily which book he's talking about. It's a book that he uses in his class, Introduction to Theology. So all the seminarians here are well familiar with it. But the book is called The The Wellspring of Worship. And the author is Jean Carbone, and it's published by Ignatius Press. Now, Jean Carbone is a well-known theologian. He was actually a contributor to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. He influenced the fourth part, the part on prayer. I think did he write the part, or did, the fourth part, or did he contribute to it in a smaller way? You know, I remember from class, I Jeremy said these conciliar documents or group documents. You never really know who wrote what. But I recall him saying that those who know who wrote what know that he wrote most of it, not all of it. And Jean Carbone is not a Latin rite, is that, is that correct? Not a Latin rite priest. He's a. Sounds about right. Is he a Maronite priest? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because we, we did talk about that in class. It's, you know, the fact that he is a different rite, does that translate into our Roman Catholic experience? The answer is yes. Well, that is all we wanted to say for this introduction, so we'll get out of the way and give you the good habit. We hope you enjoy it. The eight master themes are ecclesiology, number two, the word of God, three, the paschal mystery, four, anamnesis, epiclesis, and eschatology, Five, the manifestation of the Trinitarian mystery through the Eucharistic action. Six, the moral life. Seven, spiritual theology. And eight, mission or missiology. So, Father Abbott, what do you mean by ecclesiology? Okay, so ecclesiology, that's a big word for a specialization within theology that explains what the, what the theology of the church is. And uh, that's, a, that's a topic in the Theological Academy. But in our methodology, we are letting the ritual shape of the Eucharist inspire our journey into the Academy and to be sh- to, to connect uh, in the questions of ecclesiology, to connect that immediately with the church at prayer in, th- in the shape of the Eucharistic assembly. So uh, the way that master theme begins to, to, to take shape is by noticing that when Eucharist is celebrated, um, What's happening is that a whole bunch of people are coming together from many different places into one place. And, and our, our tendency is not to give that too much thought. This is what happens if you don't think very much, you know. You, you, you might miss something really beautiful and deep. Uh, but if you start thinking, you can just look at people coming to church and realize that's an amazing thing that's happening here. Uh, actually, they're coming. You, you start thinking, why are they coming? Because grace is moving them. Because they are seeking something. Because God is calling them. And many people are coming together to one place to do something, all of them together. And... Uh, that's just, that's happening. There the church is going to have mass and all that's happening. Now I'm thinking about that. And when I think about that, I can say, 
that can help me to understand what the church is. The church is the coming together in one place of many different kinds of people with many different kinds of story that is leading them to a place where they are going to be so united among themselves because... So I'm already doing ecclesiology, see? I'm saying the church is a whole bunch of people coming together under a force that is not there, that, that, that is God at work in their lives. I gave it a theological word, grace. Grace is moving them. I'm talking about the purpose of their coming together, in a sense to, to, to submit to the action of God there. And so all that happens there, and we'll see that there the word of God is proclaimed, uh, there the sacramental action around the Eucharistic bread and wine is taking place. And, and I can, I can draw conclusions about ecclesiology from all that. I can say, oh, the church is the context where the Bible belongs. That is to say, oh, this is, this is the church's book. Listening to this word makes the church to be church. There wouldn't be church if there, if there weren't all these people in one place listening to the word of God. That causes the church to be. And even more so, then you just go right through the rest of the mess. The gifts of bread and wine brought to the hands of the priests. That's what the church does. Is it, is it gets the fruits of creation and the work of human hands into the hands of Christ for the transformation of these gifts. Then it worships, it prays, it offers. That's the church. So, it, so that this this vision keeps ecclesiology from being kind of an abstract reflection on an institution called the church. Instead, it's a very concrete reflection on something that is somewhere. These people doing this. That's the church. It's, and, but as you dig it at that mystery, you see these people here in this place doing this, in fact, understand themselves to be in communion with such like communities across the whole world. That too is the church. And so these people who are here take their identity from being in communion with such like communities across the world and across the centuries. All that's church. And, well, that's good theology. That's good thinking. And you might not think that or see all that in a Eucharistic assembly if someone isn't thinking hard about these things. You might, you might think all the wrong things, like, what are all those people doing in that building? <laughs> uh, well, there's a guy up in front trying to stir them up. We don't know why. You know, that isn't what's happening. <laughs> so what's happening with all those people in the building? You need ecclesiology to really take the measure of what's happening. So how do we differentiate this, perhaps when we think of the old scholastic axiom, action follows being? It almost sounds like, forgive me if I'm taking your words wrongly, but it almost sounds like the church comes into being because of the action of the people. Perhaps it's a simplistic understanding on my part, but how does that work? Yeah, uh, 
the there's a there's a mysterious interchange of which comes first church or eucharist and in some obvious way it's got to be church first because the church is there and now it's going to celebrate eucharist so church does eucharist but in but but that's a, an obvious way the church already exists we're the church we go to one place and we celebrate Eucharist. That's the church celebrating Eucharist. But in a deeper way, it's the Eucharist itself that causes the church to be church in the first place. The church is not church ever until Eucharist happens. Uh, and but what now? We, you might get snagged there because you'd go something like. Well, wait a minute. What about all the stuff that uh, about Jesus and the crucifixion and all that? And that that's not church. That's not even Eucharist yet. And it, and then you start digging deeper in the mystery and go, well, yes, in fact, it is. Because what is the Eucharist? The Eucharist is our access in this present moment to the deed of God done in Jesus of Nazareth, crucified under Pontius Pilate, and him raised up and alive and sharing his risen life through the centuries in the world. Show me that. I show you the Eucharist. So the Eucharist makes the church. Uh, what is to say? What makes the church? Christ crucified and risen and extending his life through the sacraments makes the church to be church. So in that sense, Eucharist makes the church. You uh, asked the question, though, also, but it makes it seem like uh, the people uh, are doing how did you put it, Benjamin, that, that the people are... Because the people are there, the church comes in. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, and it looks like that, but it's, bec- it's because all of the action of the people being there is God's action on the people. So the people are doing it. And, as it were, getting credit for it. We did this. (laughs) But what they're doing is what God enables them to do in Jesus Christ. So it's he in the people. It's he making the people his body that makes the people's action to cause it to be church. So that's the, the catechism calls that a marvelous cooperation between the Holy Spirit and the people. Uh, that's what the liturgy is. It, it is. it is something done by the people. But don't mistake that for meaning that the people produce the divine action. They don't. But the people are actors in the divine action. By the, by that I mean, what's what it is the big action that we do? The big action that we do is we bring, we listen first of all, we absorb the word, then we bring gifts of bread and wine with the intention of them being transformed. What is the bread and wine? Our life in the world. We bring our life in the world with the intention of being transformed. The action of God, the action of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus Christ in His words transforms the gifts. And the church offers the transformed gifts. That's the work of the church. So the church is doing a lot, but everything she does 
is the Holy Spirit and Christ forming the church into one body, one spirit in Christ. And so the work of the church then becomes the church appears before the Father uh, as humanity restored and redeemed. Uh, And so... Yeah, at first it seems like we're only saying, oh, the church, the church celebrates Eucharist and causes all this. No, it's all the action of God. But so you see this sometime in fights about liturgy, uh, that liturgy is uh, God, should be God-centered, but it's people-centered. And if... The reality is is that it's centered on both, uh, at the, that the center merges people and God, so that uh, it's it's not it's not just that in the liturgy everybody should be thinking about God. It's that all of us together have communion in this divine movement, which is God's own coming into our midst and taking us into his body and taking us into this circle uh, of Trinitarian love in which in the Son we come before the Father. We come before the Father. And, and what's... So that's... That, is, that, is that not God-centered? Because I just said we? <laughs> no. We come before the Father clothed in the flesh of the Father's beloved Son. Uh, so those are kind of... You know, that's a, that's a bad way to fight about liturgy. Uh, don't fall into that trap. See, the good theology will keep us from fighting about liturgy. Or, or to say that that's a that's a that's not the right kind of fight to have, and and so when you try to stop the fight, then you do so by by getting some good theology out there. It's 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 all well and good to say the we should be focused on God. Of course we we should be and we are, but whom on whom does God focus? That's the question. And God focuses on the assembly. God does a lot for the assembly. And not, therefore, to see that, not to see the assembly transformed, is to miss what God is doing. One of the themes in class we talked about was the idea of time and the liturgy. Um. Liturgy is in a certain space and time, but mm-hmm. we also talked about the idea how Christ permeates the assembly and connects it not only to the cross and resurrection, but also the heavenly liturgy. So my question is, how do they tie together this idea that Mass is in a certain space and time, but also that it connects us not only to the cross, but also the heavenly liturgy? So not only yeah. the past, but also the future. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the question of time, very closely related to the relationship, uh, to the question of space, time and space, uh, is related to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, What it means to die is for you to have run out of time. Okay, so uh, every one of us has has a mortal time, 
that is uh, mortal. You die after a certain amount of time. Okay, so we each have so much time. When you're dead, uh, the the time of the existing world goes on, but you don't. You're you're done with when and and you don't go anywhere either. So, in time and space, you're done for. You're you're stopped. So, what resurrection means is that those limits uh, do not pertain. To the, to the Lord, who had, who was indeed uh, dead and stopped and buried in a place, and then those limits are burst open, and the one who was crucified lives in a new condition. Uh, the, uh, he lives in the condition of humanity raised up and filled with divinity. It's humanity raised up and filled with divinity. So, raised up humanity, risen humanity, is not going to be limited by time and space. Indeed, this, it's, resurrection is a celebration. God's celebration it's the Father's celebration of the gift that his Son gave him in entrusting his life to him. So, so Father, Son, and Spirit celebrate resurrection by dishing out its power and force to, ever, to whoever believes in him. And so that, so, so to believe in this deed of God, Jesus risen from the dead, to believe in it is to, is to receive it as your own new life that will uh, break the limits of your own mortality and put you in contact with, the, with this new humanity which is, which is filled with divinity and so has the, the, the powers of divinity in it, like being everywhere all at once, being inside people's minds, being uh, penetrating their bodies, filling the universe with his presence. So that's the risen Lord, just doing that kind of stuff <laughs> and, and gathering people to himself, wanting to gather the whole of humanity into that space. And so, uh, what, uh, where, what time and place are we in when we celebrate Eucharist? That's the question. And one obvious uh, uh, level, it's 11 a.m. on Sunday morning in St. Mary's Church in this town. That's where we are. But where are we really? Let's think. Let's use our minds. Let's use theology. Where are we really? We are everywhere with Jesus. We are in communion with everyone in the church, in his body. We are where Jesus is. Uh, and Jesus is here where we are. And there's no limits to that. And there's no limits to time. And the whole cosmos is gathered here. That's where we are. And where is heaven? Also there. Which is, which is also everywhere. Heaven's not like a, a locatable place. Heaven is a condition. Heaven is the condition 
of the presence of God and the condition the the, the the condition that God God has has reconditioned himself to include within the divinity the human na- nature of of the son so that the human nature of the son is the instrument with which he is henceforth the divine son and where is that that's where god is that's heaven that's in this church that's our future when all are gathered there but he's not waiting for that future he's in that future and so if we're contacting him now we're in that future already in heaven when we're in the liturgy and and that's why the liturgy uh, in the various traditions uh is it where acts like heaven sings like heaven decorates like heaven talks like heaven uh, so that we will realize that we're actually living existence on on different planes and that 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 foretaste of heaven uh, that 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 contact with our future uh, sends us back into mortal time quite changed quite ready to live in mortal time with deeper charity more effective wisdom with uh, fearing less and less suffering and death and separation because we know that when we keep on experiencing that in the liturgy we have uh, we have this contact already with the definitive Christ who is coming to full stature. So you know you can just kind of go on and on thinking about that. That's yeah. that's what you do. That's that's theology thinking. It's using what look what I look how I'm talking here uh, because we're trying to learn how to do theology. I'm using a whole bunch of theological instruments to just face a very good question like what's time what happens to time Mm -hmm. and you can see well you can really think quite a lot about that and it's uh, and then eventually when you're in the liturgy you don't want to try to remember what I just said but you can be in the liturgy simply there and somehow you'll detect what I just said A story comes to mind here of something that happened with me last year. I think it illustrates in a small way what you're touching on for the abbot. In the beginning of last school year, one of my diocesan brothers was being dropped off by his family, and his young niece had come up with him with his family, and was uh, she was having a really hard time, a really difficult time with this, with this goodbye. They uh, they had known each other, of course, her whole life, and they had lived near near each other her whole life. And speci- specifically that summer, they had spent a lot of time together. And she knew that, you know, she was in, anticipating in whatever way she could that she was going to be really suffering because she would really miss him, wouldn't be able to spend as much time with him. Well, her mother told me this, the situation uh, right then as it was happening and she was having um, a hard time with this goodbye and I remembered 
a piece of advice that had been shared with me and which had helped me. And so I thought, well, I'll say it to her and, you know, see what happens. I said to her that her uncle, my diocesan brother, would be going to Mass every day here at the seminary. Monday through Friday, all through the school year, he'd be going to Mass. We all go to, as we all go to Mass here as a community. And I told her that whenever she goes to Mass back at home, that the two of them are, in a real sense, going to Mass together. Of course, they are in different states, and they may not be going at the same time, but in a real sense, they're going to Mass together. And they're living this life that is centered on the Paschal mystery and centered on the representation of the Paschal mystery, which, of course, is the Mass. And so by going to Mass and deepening her relationship with Christ in the Mass, she would also be deepening her relationship with her uncle. So I didn't, you know, think very much of it at the time. You know, I said, well, okay. So I (laughs) said it to her. She's a young girl. She probably wasn't even listening to what I was saying. Well, at the end of that school year, I saw that family again at the ordination in our diocese. And they came up to me after Mass. So this is, you know, eight, nine months after the after I first shared her that piece of, of advice. And uh, they came up to me after the ordination and told me that they um, had been going to Mass, or, excuse me, told me that um, this that piece of advice had helped her, told me that it had helped her throughout the year that she was looking forward to going to Mass every week because she knew that she'd be in a significant but non-visible way but significant nonetheless would be closer to her own her own uncle does that does that touch on what we're saying here that's a very concrete um, experience or instance of um of the kind of communion that is created in Christ. Because um, you remember this from uh, Corbon's book. Yeah, I don't remember the details, but he has the concept of of the, the mystery itself, the reality itself of, of Jesus Christ, which is ultimately a Trinitarian reality. You know, that uh, the Jesus reveals the Father uh, to us. In his death and resurrection, the spirit is there. All that, all that. But he says that's just there. That doesn't start and stop. That's just always there. Liturgy starts and stops because here we are in this uh, earthly mortal existence. But the start, the starting and the stopping of liturgy, isn't the starting and stopping of of that divine reality. Uh, starting and stopping. It's always there. So in that sense, uh, the celebration of an actual liturgy that starts and stops is in fact just splicing in to this space that is always there, uh, which which is the Jesus reality, which is always his connection to the church. There isn't sort of like Jesus and the church, and sometimes he doesn't even think about the church. 
that, that uh, it, no it's the the only reality of Jesus is is his constant communion with the father and his constant communion with humanity uh, so that's always there that's always there going into the liturgy places us there with awareness focus and effectiveness and we are meant to be able to go out from there then realizing different dimensions of of what uh, being in Christ achieves and among the dimensions it achieves is our communion with one another and uh, so that we never lose our communion with one another either by separation of space or the separation of death either and that's how that is a real consolation when when loved ones die is that that is not a loss of the separation of course we feel it in the same way that you feel the liturgy starts and stops and uh, and life can get hard and it doesn't feel like heaven and all that uh, so uh, so we need this constant circling back to the food. That's why the metaphor is food. You don't just eat once and say, I ate once. And the same, you know, don't ever need to do that again. Uh, and it's the same with encountering Christ in this way. You don't just say, I, I don't know, don't need that again, you know. <laughs> Even though you get everything that he has in the one encounter with him. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that's a very good concrete example of a, of a child getting it. Uh, very good. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to ask anything else at this point. You've already given us so much already. Uh, and that's, that's just a pattern of listening to you speak, so nothing new there. But uh, so focusing uh, in on the church at prayer and manifesting itself as church I've become a little more aware of this here in the monastery at the abbey uh, especially during noon prayer as the bells for noon prayer are ringing and all of a sudden uh, center of gravity just shifts you know and everyone on the hilltop is going well to two places actually the abbey and then the dining room uh but if we ignore that part, uh, everyone's heading into the abbey, and it's not just the monks; it's it's guests who are, you know, they're wondering what is this? Oh, a musical show! Um, and then there's the seminarians, of course, who join us regularly, and you know, it's 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 neat. It's really neat to see see this happening, seeing people swarming from all all directions, and. And, you know, from the choir stalls, you see everyone just falling into place. So so you sit in your choir stall, Father Abbott, and then Father Odo, Father Vincent, the superiors, uh, and then we fill in wherever wherever we need to be. And there's a sense of place. Everyone's got a sense of where their place is and just fall into it. And then we start doing things. <laughs> and so on the one hand... Uh, a guest could come in and see us doing things and as you mentioned earlier someone who isn't thinking deeply about what we're doing or maybe doesn't have the tools to think about what we're doing may say something like and you do hear this they'll say oh the monks are you know giving a concert or, or worse you know the friars are giving a concert uh 
and hopefully we don't we don't think about it that way ourselves. Hopefully we think about um, ourselves as church manifesting itself as church. But what we do there at noon prayer it looks different than what it you know what it looked like at eight or nine during mass. Um, so my extended question. Uh, I was wondering if maybe you could just talk a little bit about that difference. You know, what what happens there at noon prayer when the church is showing herself as church there as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, at Mass? Yeah, that, that's a... The church shows herself uh, at prayer in different ways. And so different dimensions of the reality and mystery of the church are shown. And uh, what the church is showing uh, in a very vivid way, uh, gathering like this for the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, you know, the, the, the times of gathering take their meaning from each other, like Oh, it's early morning. Oh, it's it's the sun is up. Oh, it's noon. Oh, it's early evening. Oh, it's night. So, and the church gathers at all those times. So that's a way of the church showing at every hour the Christ mystery is is. And so in the same way I spoke of splicing into it by means of the Eucharist, uh, you can do that as it were at any time of the day or night. Where uh, and so that shows a, that shows a different kind of reality, but the reality that the liturgy of the hours is dealing with is said in the very name. It's dealing with the hours, it's dealing with time, and it's consecrating time. It's sanctifying time. It's saying that even though we're at work and the day is going on, uh, the the ultimate reality of this day is that Christ is constantly interceding. Uh, through his body, the church, before the world, uh, to the Father, and so uh, that's what the that's what the image is of praying throughout the day. In a monastery, you see it in a, in a, this kind of vivid uh, liturgical way, but that comes over into the life of of any Christian at prayer with the hours. Is a way of uh, in a it's a it's a simpler liturgy. But it's it's the same reality of Christ in his body, the church, using his body, the church, to come toward the Father. And that's kind of the structure of the Liturgy of the Hours throughout the day. So that all day long, the mystery, the mystery is always there. Throughout the day, we want to live our day touching it and 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 stepping right into it. And go, I wonder what the Christ mystery is doing now. Ah, there's Jesus saying to the Father in the name of all humanity, Oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. The, the risen Lord is always saying that with his being. His very being is that. And then we just say, we just pause and go, hmm, I'm, yeah, I like your being. I like what you do. You know, you just, you just get a hold of that, you know. That's praying, you know. And to see him do that, that strengthens me for the day. That gets me going. Keeps me going. The stability that that brings is just incredible. Mount Angel, of course, has been here for 
130 years. Yeah. And Mount Angel's Mother Monastery in Engelberg, their abbot, abbot Christian, being here these days, has um, made us think, gotten us to think about this, that that monastery has been in continuous monastic living for 898 years. Isn't that amazing? Well, thank you, Father Abbot. I think we'll pause here. Thank you, guys. These are great questions. and instant. I'm so happy to go over the class again with you. I mean, that, that's just, it's great that it's still working in you so much, and that makes me happy, of course. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. You just heard episode two of Theology at the Eucharistic Table, first master theme, Ecclesiology. Uh, thank you for listening. It was It's good to have you all. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm excited to hear how this has prompted any reflection, any thoughts, any prayer, any, yeah, anything. So definitely excited to hear back from you all. Um, so make sure you drop in a line or two, send us an email, uh, or visit us on our website. That'd be great to hear back from you. Yes, our website is up now. It's theology at mtangel.com, theology at mountangel.com. But again, the mount is spelled just MT. So theology at mtangel.com. And again, the email address is theology at mtangel.edu. Just to keep you on your toes. So theology at mtangel.edu is the email address. And theology at mtangel.com is the website. And just a note about Ben and Caleb. We wanted to have more of them in this episode. And especially in the intro and closing remarks. But they took off as soon as break started. They ran away to the Diocese of Boise to do some camping and to celebrate the Triduum over there. So... We will have them, more of them, in the next episode. So if you've just been dying to hear from them or dying <laughs> to hear less from us, just uh, beg the Father for patience. <laughs> it's we'll, only a matter of time. Yes, yes. Unite your sufferings to the <laughs> sufferings of Christ. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I hope um, everybody had a great Easter Sunday yesterday. And also, we hope that you're having a good Easter octave right now. We just celebrate an octave of Easter. Yeah, this is one of like the wonderful secrets of the church that nobody knows about. That you know, it's like, oh, it's Easter Sunday, and then you know, at midnight it's over, and everyone just goes back to their houses. But no, uh, what happens at Easter is so intense that it takes over the next eight days, so that we have our octave, our eight days of Easter. Uh, so that from Easter Sunday to the following Easter is just one big day. One big resurrection day. And then we also have a season. So not only the Easter octave stretching the one day into eight days, but then the season mm-hmm. into 50 days. 50 days. Going all the way into Pentecost. So that's, like ne- a, that's like a cushion, you know. It's like, yeah, this intense eight days, and now you kind of need a recovery from that awesomeness or to ease back into regular life. That's like a cushion to go away from the awesomeness. I'm pretty sure that's catechism language, right? <laughs> it's very technical, yeah. Yes. Well, um, the next episode will come out in two weeks, God willing. 
and so we'll still be in the season. So we will continue to rejoice over the resurrection. Anything else, brother? I think that's it for me. All right, we got one minute here before the bells start ringing for our noon prayer. So we're about to go. Let's go praise the Lord. <laughs> 